Section fourteen of the Comic English Grammar by Percival Lee. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part four. Prosody. Prosody consists of two parts, wherefore, although it may be a topic, a head, or subject for discussion, it can never be a point, for a point is that which hath no parts. Besides, there are a great many lines to be considered in the second part of prosody, which treats of versification. The first division teaches the true pronunciation of words, including accent, quantity, emphasis, pause, and tone. Lord Chesterfield's book about manners, which is intended to teach us the proper tone to be adopted in society, may be termed an ethical prosody lord chesterfield may have been a polished gentleman but dr johnson was of the two the more shining character chapter one of pronunciation section one of accent though penetrated ourselves by the desire of imparting instruction we are far from wishing to bore our readers and therefore we shall endeavour to repeat nothing here that we have said before accent is the marking with a peculiar stress of the voice a particular letter or syllable in a word in such a manner as to render it more distinct or audible than the rest thus in the word theatre the stress of the voice should be on the letter e and first syllable the and in contrary on the first syllable con how shocking it is to hear people say contrary theatre the friends of education will be reminded with regret that an error in the pronunciation of the first of these words is very early impressed on the human mind mary mary quite contrary how does your garden grow how many evils alas arrive from juvenile associations words of two syllables never have more than one of them accented except for the sake of peculiar emphasis gentlemen however whose profession it is to drive certain public vehicles called cabs are much accustomed to disregard this rule and to say polite or perlite genteel concern police and so on nay they go so far as to convert a word of one syllable into two for the sake of indulging in this style of pronunciation and thus the word queer is pronounced by them as kevir the word amen when standing alone should be pronounced with two accents the accents in which it usually is pronounced are very inelegant clerks nowadays alas are no scholars Dissyllables formed by adding a termination usually have the former syllable accented as foolish, blockhead, etc. The accent in dissyllables formed by prefixing a syllable to the radical word is commonly on the latter syllable as I protest, I declare, I entreat, I adore, I expire protestations declarations entreaties and adorations proclaim a swain to be simply tender but expiration for love proves him to be decidedly soft 
a man who turns lover becomes a protestant and his conduct at the same time generally undergoes a reformation especially if he has previously been a rake the zeal however of a reformed rake like that of jack in dean swift's tale of a tub is sometimes apt to outrun his discretion when the same word being a dissyllable is both a noun and a verb the verb has mostly the accent on the latter and the noun on the former syllable as molly let hymen's gentle hand cement our hearts together with such a cement as shall stand in spite of wind and weather i do presage and oft a fact a presage doth foretoken our mutual love shall ne'er contract our contract ne'er be broken there are many exceptions to the rule just enunciated so that correctly as well as familiarly speaking it is perhaps no rule for though verbs seldom have an accent on the former yet nouns frequently have it on the latter syllable as marianne is my delight both by day and eke by night for by day her soft control soothes my heart and calms my soul and her image while i doze comes to sweeten my repose fortune favouring my design please the pigs she shall be mine the former syllable of most dissyllables ending in y o u r o w l e i s h c k t e r a g e e n e t is accented as granny noodle etc except allow avow endow bestow below sir i cannot allow you your flame to avow endow yourself first with the rhino my hand to bestow on a fellow below me i'd rather be never mind i know music in the language of the gods is sometimes pronounced music nouns of two syllables ending in er have the accent on the former syllable as butcher baker it is perhaps a singular thing that persons who pursue the callings denoted by the two words selected as examples should always indicate their presence in an area by crying out in direct defiance of prosody butcher baker the latter syllable being of the two the more strongly accented dissyllabic verbs ending in a consonant and e final as disclose repine or having a diphthong in the last syllable as believe deceive or ending in two consonants as intend are accented on the latter syllable matilda's eyes a light disclose which with the star of eve might vie oh that such lovely orbs as those should sparkle at an apple pie thy love i thought was wholly mine thy heart i fondly hope to rule its throne i cannot but repine at sharing with a gooseberry fool thou swear'st no flatterer can deceive thy mind thy breast no coxcomb rifle thou art no trifler i believe but why so plaguy fond of trifle 
why when we're wed i don't intend to joke matilda or be funny i really fear that you will spend the honeymoon in eating honey most disyllabic nouns having a diphthong in the latter syllable have the accent also on that syllable as a hamlet that draws is sure of applause a hamlet that draws there are not many who can give even an outline of the character in a few words ending in a-i-n the accent is placed on the former syllable as villain which is pronounced as the natives of whitechapel pronounce willing those disyllables the vowels of which are separated in pronunciation always have the accent on the first syllable as lion scion etc when is a young and tender shoot like a fond swain when tis a scion what's the most gentlemanly brute-like of all flowers a dandy lion trisyllables formed by adding a termination or prefixing a syllable retain the accent of the radical word as loveliness sheepishness knavery assurance the first syllable of trisyllables ending in ous a l i o n is accented in the generality of cases as in the words serious capital etc dr johnson declared with a serious face that he reckoned a punster a villain what would he have thought of the horrible case of a man who makes jokes that are killing in his diction to speak tis not easy for one who must furnish both reason and rhyme sir the rogue who has uttered a capital pun has committed a capital crime trisyllables ending in c e e n t a t e y r e l e and u d e commonly accent the first syllable many of those however which are derived from words having the accent on the last syllable and of those of which the middle syllable has a vowel between two consonants are excepted they who would elegantly speak should not say impudence but cheek should all things eatable call prog eyes ogles countenance physog a coat should nominate a drag and specify as moke a nag for excellent use prime or bang up or out and out and scrag for hang up the theatre was wont to teach the public rectitude of speech but we who live in modern age consult the gallery not the stage trisyllables ending in a-t-o-r have the accent placed on the middle syllable as spectator narrator etc except orator senator and a few other words take care that you never pronounce the common name of the vegetable sometimes called irish fruit pertator a diphthong in the middle syllable of a trisyllable is accented as also in general is a vowel between two consonants as domestic endeavour an endeavour to appear domesticated or in common phraseology to do the domestic is sometimes made by young gentlemen and generally with but an ill grace 
avoid such attempts reader on all occasions and in particular never adventure either to nurse babies or when you shall have gone up to the ladies to pour water into the teapot from the kettle a legal or medical student sometimes thinks proper from a desire of appearing at once gallant and facetious to usurp the office of pouring out the tea itself on which occasions he is very apt to betray his uncivilized habits by an unconscious but very unequivocal manipulation used in giving malt liquor what is technically termed a head many polysyllables are regulated as to accent by the words from which they are derived as inexpressibles substituted unobjectionably designated transatlantic delicacy decidedly unquestionable words ending in a-t-o-r are commonly accented on the last syllable but one let them be as long as they may as respirator regulator renovator indicator and all the other aters that we see in the newspapers many words ending in i-o-n o-u-s t-y i-a i o and c a l have their accent on the last syllable but two as consideration prodigious impenetrability encyclopedia braggadocio antimonarchical all of which words we have divided into syllables by way of a hint that they are to be pronounced comically speaking after the manner of dominie sampson words that end in le usually have the accent on the first syllable as amicable despicable etc although we have heard people say despicable i never see such a despicable fellow not in all my born days words of this class however the second syllable of which has a vowel before two consonants are often differently accented as in respectable contemptible having in compliance with grammatical usage laid down certain rules with regard to accent we have to inform the reader that there are so many exceptions to almost all of them that perhaps there is scarcely one which it is worth while to attend to we hope we have in some measure amused him but as to instruction we fear that in this part of our subject we have given him very little of that those who would acquire a correct accent had better attend particularly to the mode of speaking adopted in good society avoid debating clubs and go to church for farther satisfaction and information we refer them and we beg to say that we are not joking to walker section two of quantity the quantity of a syllable means the time taken up in pronouncing it as there is in arithmetic a long division and a short division so in prosody is quantity considered as long or short a syllable is said to be long when the accent is on the vowel causing it to be slowly joined in pronunciation to the next letter as flea small creature a syllable is called short when the accent lies on the consonant so that the vowel is quickly joined to the succeeding letter as crack little devil 
the pronunciation of a long syllable commonly occupies double the time of a short one thus pate and broke must be pronounced as slowly again as pat and knock we have remarked a curious tendency in the more youthful students of grammar to regard the quantity of words in their lessons more as being small or great than as coming under the head of long or short their predilection for small quantities of words is very striking and peculiar food for the mind they seem to look upon as physic and all physic in their estimation is most agreeably taken in infinitesimal doses the homeopathic system of acquiring knowledge is more to their taste than even the hamiltonian it is quite impossible to give any rules as to quantity worth reading the romans may have submitted to them but that is no reason why we should we will pronounce our words as we please and if foreigners want to know why we will tell them that when there is no law to the contrary we always does as we likes with our own section three of emphasis emphasis is the distinguishing of some word or words in a sentence on which we wish to lay particular stress by a stronger and fuller sound and sometimes by a particular tone of the voice a few illustrations of the importance of emphasis will be perhaps both agreeable and useful when a young lady says to a young gentleman you are a nice fellow you are she means one thing when a young gentleman addressing one of his own sex remarks you're a nice fellow you are he means another thing your friend is a gentleman pronounced without any particular emphasis is the simple assertion of a fact your friend is a gentleman with the emphasis on the words friend and gentleman conveys an insinuation besides so simple a question as do you like pineapple rum is susceptible of as many meanings as there are words in it according to the position of the emphasis do you like pineapple rum is as much as to say do you though really like pineapple rum do you like pineapple rum is tantamount to can it be that a young gentleman or lady like you can like pineapple rum do you like pineapple rum means is it possible that instead of disliking you are fond of pineapple rum do you like pineapple rum is an inquiry as to whether you like that kind of rum in particular and lastly do you like pineapple rum is equivalent to asking if you think that the flavour of the pineapple improves that especial form of alcohol a well-known instance of an emphasis improperly placed was furnished by a certain parson who read a passage in the old testament in the following unlikely manner and he said unto his sons saddle me the ass and they saddled him young ladies are usually very emphatic in ordinary discourse what a little dear oh how sweetly pretty well i never did i declare so nice and so innocent and so good-tempered and so affectionate and such a colour and 
Oh, such lovely eyes, and such hair. He was a little duck. He was, he was, he was. Tick-a-tick, tick-tick-tick-tick, etc., etc., etc. This emphatic way of speaking is indicative of two very amiable feelings implanted by nature in the female occiput, and called by the phrenologists adhesiveness and philoprogenitiveness. Those who attempt to imitate it will be conscious, while forcing out their words, of a peculiar mental motion, which we cannot explain otherwise than by saying that it is analogous to that which attends the act of pressing or squeezing, as when, with the thumb of the right hand, we knead one lump of putty to another in the palm of the left. Perhaps we might also instance sucking an orange. In all these cases the organ of weight, according to phrenology, is also active, and this, perhaps, is one of the faculties which induce young ladies to lay a stress upon their words. Nevertheless, we fear that a damsel would hardly be pleased by being told that her weight was considerable, though it would, at the same time, grievously offend her to accuse her of lightness. Here we need scarcely observe that we refer to lightness, not of complexion, but of sentiment which is always regarded as a dark shade in the character. This defect, we think, we may safely assert, will never be observed in emphatic fair ones. But we have not quite yet exhausted the subject of emphasis considered in relation to young ladies. Their letters are as emphatic as their languages, almost every third word being underlined. Such epistles, inasmuch as they are addressed to the heart, ought not to be submitted to the ear. Nevertheless, we must say that we have occasionally been wicked and waggish enough to read them aloud, to ourselves alone, of course. The reader may, if he choose, follow our example. We subjoin a specimen of female correspondence, endeared to us by many tender recollections, and admirably adapted to our present purpose. My dear Paul, when we left town on Wednesday last, the weather was so very rainy that we were obliged to have the coach windows up. I was terribly afraid that Matilda and I would have caught our death of cold, but thank goodness no such untoward event took place. It was very uncomfortable, and I so wished you had been there. When we got home, who do you think was there? Mr. Sims, and he said he thought that I was so much grown. Only think. And so then, you know, we took some refreshment, for I assure you, what with the journey and altogether, we were very nearly famished. And we were all invited to go to the Chubbs that evening to a small tea-party, for which I must own I thought Mr. Chubb a nice man. After tea we had a carpet waltz, and although I was very tired, I enjoyed it much. There were some very pretty girls there, 
and one or two agreeable young men, but oh, etc. The remainder of this letter being of a nature personally interesting to ourselves only, and likely, in the opinion of some readers, to render its insertion attributable to motives of vanity, we shall not be found fault with for objecting to transcribe any more of it. Section 4 of Pauses A pause, otherwise called a rest, is an absolute cessation of the voice in speaking or reading, during a perceptible interval, longer or shorter, of time. Comic pauses often occur in oratory. Unaccustomed as I am to public speaking, is usually followed by a pause of this sort. A young gentleman, his health having been drunk at a party, afforded, in endeavouring to return thanks, a signal illustration of the pause comic. Gentlemen, he began, the ancient Romans. A pause. Gentlemen, the ancient Romans. Here. The ancient Romans, gentlemen. Bravo, here, here. Gentlemen, that is, the ancient Romans. Were very fine fellows, Jack, I dare say, added a friend pulling the speaker down by the coat-tail. That notable ancient Roman, Brutus, is represented by Shakespeare as making a glorious pause, as, Who's here so vile that would not love his country? If any speak, for him have I offended. I pause for a reply. Here, of course, Brutus pauses, folds his arms, and looks magnanimous. We have heard, though, of an idle and impudent schoolboy, who at a public recitation, when he had uttered the words, I pause for a reply, gravely took out his penknife and began paring his nails. This was minding his pause with a vengeance. Section 5 of Tones Tones consist of the modulations of the voice, or the notes or variations of sound which we use in speaking, thus differing materially both from emphasis and pauses. An interesting diversity of tones is exhibited by the popular voice at an election, also by charcoal men, milkmen and chimney sweeps, and by fruit sellers and newsboys. We cannot exactly write tones, though it is easy enough to write notes, but we shall nevertheless endeavour to give some idea of their utility. Observe that two doves billing resemble two magistrates bowing, because they are beak to beak. A lover and a police magistrate, unless the two characters should chance to be combined, which sometimes happens, that is, when the latter is a lover of justice, would say, answer me in very different tones. A lover again would utter the words, for ever and ever, in a very different tone from that in which a minister would repeat them. A young lady, on her first introduction to you, says, Sir, in a tone very unlike that in which she sometimes afterwards delivers herself of the same monosyllable when she is addressing you under the influence of jealousy. 
as to the word sir the number of constructions which according to the tone in which it is spoken it may be made to bear are incalculable we may adduce a few instances please sir let me off no sir waiter you sir yes sir yes sir sir i am greatly obliged to you sir you are quite welcome your servant sir by a man who brings you a challenge servant sir by a tailor bowing you to the door sir you are a gentleman sir you are a scoundrel we need not go on with examples ad infinitum if after what we have said anybody does not understand the nature of tone all we shall say of him is that he is a tony lumpkin End of section 14